Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Brett Keen, and you are watching and listening to The Brett Keen Show. I hope you're all having a blessed day out there. Has any of you ever heard of the theory that humans resemble computers? In philosophy of mind, the computational theory of mind, CTM, also known as compilationism, is a family of views that hold that human mind is an information processing system and that cognition and consciousness together are a form of computation. That's right. That is believed about the brain and mind. It's an extremely popular theory among scientists and philosophers. When scientists go into labs or they do experiments or they're working on humans or uh, studying us or researching us or investigating us, they also go in, they always go in with the concept that we are like machines and computers. And when you're dealing with machines and computers, you can't just put random chemicals into the machine in order to get results. The only results you're going to get one out of a millionth to the 10th power is you're going to destroy your machine. Even if you take Catholic holy water and throw it on the computer, it's not going to resolve a lot of the issues in it. Aha. Uh -huh, see what I, I did there? Well, ladies and gentlemen, why is it that we're like computers? And then we'll get into a lot of different philosophical points on this. Well, first of all, we run on power like a lot of computers do. All of them, actually. Whether it's in your phone, whether the computer is set up in your console or your video game machine or your PC or laptop or, you know, your IBM, Dell, whatever the case might be. It all requires power. It all requires some kind of energy source in order for it to be able to function. Now, on top of this, it also has a lot of processors and a lot of machinery and, and things where it's not enough for it just to be able to put information on the screen, but the machine actually has to have some kind of understanding. For example, when you go to do a Google search, um, Unless the information's already there, it's obviously not going to be found, is it? If you Google something and that thing does not exist, uh, nine times out of ten, you're not going to find the information. So the computer, as well as its connection through the Internet, it requires the information already to be there and instilled within its system in order for it to be transcribed and then communicated back to us. And that's exactly the way the human brain and human mind actually work. The information has to be there first, or you'll come off incoherent, or you'll simply be dead space, quiet, or silent. There's a, a great deal of things that are going on in our bodies, ladies and gentlemen, that we're still learning about. The human brain and the human mind is so expansive and uh, so there's so many things going on, so many wheels and spokes being turning in order to make all these things work. Computers are a lot like humans as well, where you can't just put like cheap parts here and then some junk here and then leave something loose over here. Everything has to be finely tuned within a computer or you're going to have lag, you're going to have it break down, you're going to have it be destroyed. You can't use parts from certain type of computers on this 
just like you can't take computer parts out of a machine and then put them into a human and back because humans are biological or organic. However, we are still computers. We just come in a different format and a different structure. We reserve information in our hard drive. We have a hard drive where we keep all the information along. Our brain archives things, it files like a system, all that. Richard Dawkins himself, a lot of atheists, they also hold to this theory as well. They don't just hold to the theory of the Big Bang or the theory of evolution. Now, keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, is this actually true? Because it has the word theory behind it. According to scientists recently, the universe is now supposedly 30 billion years old as opposed to 16 point billion years old. The moon has recently quadrupled in age, according to science. So now this will mean because a lot of scientists out there believe that the moon actually exists because of the earth. Uh, breaking off a piece and then creating the moon off in the distance that the earth will probably go from 4.5 billion years old to quadruple. The times keep on changing and expanding and this is happening because of new technology and us being able to perceive more about our universe than we've ever seen or known before. It's extraordinary. But I do want to point out that a lot of atheists, whenever you see the word theory behind something, you automatically assume that that's fact or that's evidence. A lot of you, you say it's a fact. It's a fact of something. Um, and it seems like as long as that theory is very popular, it becomes more and more of a fact for you. It's like you uh, you just add more cereal into your bowl and uh, it becomes more cereal-like whenever it's like that. That's the way your brain works. Unfortunately, a theory is just something that explains to you what scientists think possibly could have happened, and then they give you reasons why they think that this may have happened this way. A long time ago, it used to be explained that the universe exploded into existence. Nowadays, there are scientists who are saying, well, it didn't exactly explode, it expanded. The words are changing, the process of everything is all changing in order to try to describe how things happened. For a while there, a lot of people used to believe that the universe was eternal and simply went on forever. That was actually a theory that an atheist came up with, and it got debunked. It was uh, something to do with like the state, the flat state theory of the universe, something like that. And that too was called a theory, but it was debunked. By Stephen Hawking, but who did not originally come up with the idea that the universe had a beginning. Now, why is it important to be able to acknowledge all this? Well, I wanted to do something for you. I wanted to show you what an actual fact is about us and our biology. If I were to tell you that a house exploded or it expanded out, like all of a sudden some strange pressure got itself into a building, and then the building just kind of pushed itself out like jello, <laughs> or exploded with flames and heat and magma and all this kind of stuff. Would you suspect at all, let's say it got hit by lightning or a tornado got inside of it and the pieces went flying in every different direction, 
If I were to tell you that because of that expansion of that building and all those parts, that somehow it put together a mind or a brain or a living sentient being was the result of it, you would probably, if you were not an atheist, think that I was absolutely nuts for making such a claim, right? And let's say that the atheists were to be right, that it's possible for something to explode or something to implode or outplode, whatever you want to call it, and the pieces somehow twisted themselves into some kind of script as though some kind of software information from a computer were to explode and then the information somehow grafted itself together and actually created some coherent language with information that would then somehow one day become like an AI or Skynet where it becomes alive. Let's say, let's see, let's go along with that science fiction that atheists believe in and say that that's possible to happen. Well, the one thing is, is that I think that you would all agree, even the atheist, if he can wrap his head around this philosophy and logic is, is that if the material that constricted and then engraved itself into each other was capable of turning into a mind, then you would have to ask yourself, well, then that means that whatever was in the building before that did the explosion must have had the properties of having whatever it took for a mind to exist in the first place or a life. We've always seen, ladies and gentlemen, when we look at life, life is always, according to the rules and the laws of the universe, the only way another life form can come into existence is from another life form. Now, immediately before the atheist starts pounding his head like a fucking ape that hasn't had a banana for a while, you need to think about this. Within the laws of the universe, it has always been life giving life to life. Never any other kind of way. It's never been abiogenesis, never been spontaneous generation, none of these things. That's the way it's always been. Now, something that exists outside the universe would not have the same kind of laws treatment. Something that is outside of our universe or in a multiverse or in a realm where there is no time and space is not going to have the same kind of restrictions and constrictions. That's the reason why God has perks. That's the reason why the concept of a higher power has the perks to be able to do it, because it's not constrained by the universe that came forth from it. Does that make sense? Of course it does. Anybody with a logical, rational mind would get it. But here's the catch, ladies and gentlemen. Even if we were to suggest that there was no arsonist, or there was no igniter, or there was no initiation, that the building simply was there, and it was inanimate, and didn't have the ability to think or whatever, we would have to conclude that the energy and the impact and the result of whatever the material was originally that started the explosion already had the recipe for life in it. It already had to have whatever it took. Basically, what I'm saying is, if you were to have a bowl of cake mix, 
and an explosion happened and little pieces of this cake mix ended up baking itself throughout the universe and becoming little tiny cakes well it would have had to come from something that had cake properties before that does that make sense like if the universe was made out of a big ball of silver and it exploded you would expect remnants of silver pieces all over the place like if you have confetti and you were to blow up a bowl of confetti then you would expect that everything would be partially confetti <laughs> or whatever material was in the bowl so what did we get from our expansion of the universe and our explosion we got life we got sentience we got organic biological computers that are walking around communicating with each other responding to stimuli the ability to feel joy and pain and do all these things so logically you would have to say that wherever the source is that all this life came from there would have also been life or at least the material and the recipe for it now the question is that you have to ask yourself why why would have that life been there to begin with why would have everything that came out of the bowl of confetti had all this material in the first place and why is it that it was able to graft itself and ingrain itself and become the organic creatures that we see all around us from our cells from the animals all that it seems very clearly to me that we are designed. If I were to give you a piece of paper right now that had the smallest Bible verse in the world, the smallest Bible verse in the world, the shortest sentence is Jesus wept in the New Testament. If I were to hand you this piece of paper with that, those words in any language, and I ask you right now, could have that little piece of note paper or Kleenex that that is written on created itself. You wouldn't be able to make an argument for that. It has to be those words, Jesus wept, just two words, something that communicates an idea. When you see the words Jesus wept, you immediately get a visualization of Jesus Christ crying. Your brain is going to tell your entire body what it is that it's talking about and it's going to go back in its memory banks and it's going to go through its archives and you're going to get a full picture hundreds of thousands of images are going to race through your head just by those two words jesus wept it's going to mean something to you it's going to be coherent and it's something that you would be able to share with other computers and those computers would understand you could share it with an AI or an artificial intelligence and the artificial intelligence will be able to explain to you why Jesus wept, what happened and what was going on during that time. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that information had to already be available and we're getting the pieces of it. We're the pieces of the puzzle that were created from this explosion or expansion or whatever you want to call it. And there's no way that you can argue under any circumstances. There's never been a time where 
an explosion or an expansion ever happened where anything coherent ever came out of it. In fact, usually when things explode or they expand, they disintegrate everything around them. The universe, if it's true, that whenever it went through this explosion or expansion, whatever you want to call it, everything would have been suffering what is called heat death. If the energy and the power was so powerful and so hot, everything would have been basically not just destroyed, but it would have ended up becoming like hard charcoal. It would have basically wiped itself out. However, if you've got a processing unit and you've got a outlook and a generator type of system that can actually process that energy and transform it, be able to manipulate where the energy goes and how it should be distributed, then you might be able to actually come up with that. But things like that, machines like that, and those type of functions come from a mind. Let me ask you all something. Do you believe that in order for a scientist to be able to experiment on something, do you believe in order for a scientist to be able to study something and come up with results, that that thing has to be mathematically coherent? It has to be something that you'd be able to use physics and math and measurements with in order to be able to understand. In doing so, you would have to conclude that whatever it is that a scientist is studying has to be rational and logical. If it's insane, if it's chaotic, then you're not going to be able to find any kind of consistent pattern. And therefore, you won't be able to come up with an answer or the information about such thing because it's so alien to you and so incoherent and so mathematically uh, disastrous, you wouldn't be able to ever come up with some kind of equation or answer to it unless it had consistent patterns to it. Does that make sense? It's the same way for simple layman terms. If you went into a room and you see a mess on the ground, you're not going to be able to think anything differently, but this is a mess and that mess won't do anything for you. But if you go into a room where you see an organized computer, you'll be able to know exactly what you're looking at and you will sooner or later be able to study it long enough before you understand what its purpose and function is, but you can't do that with a mess. It has to already be rational and logical. It has to already make sense for you in order to have answers for it. Kind of like some of you's lives out there, right? If your life is a mess, you won't be able to make sense of it. <laughs> Not until you start going down a road where everything starts making sense and you start making uh, common sense, rational decisions in your life. Nothing makes sense until you do that, right? So, again, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to look at ourselves. There's a reason why Christians say, look in the mirror and you'll be able to see the miracle. Because you have these things, that means that all the parts that were required in order to make you already existed in the beginning of time, space, and matter. If you're willing to say it was because of the beginning source why it is that you function as you do, the reason why you're alive and the reason why you're watching my video right now is because of this, 
then you also have to logically and rationally state that in the beginning, there was something alive, there was something that had a mind, there was something that had an essence, there was something that was capable of transforming matter, there was something that was outside of time and space, therefore making it eternal. And that thing would be called God. That's what Christians believe in. That's what Muslims believe in. That's what pagans believe in. Every religion out there that believes in an all-powerful God or omniscient or omnipresent has to believe that God is not constricted by time. There are some people out there that are called pantheists that actually believe that God is the entire universe and that we live in a uh, simulation. Believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, that's actually very possible. It's very possible to be a Christian pantheist and believe that God is in all things because he is all things, that we could actually be like the dream that is going, that we are his thought processes, that we are small mechanical spokes inside of this gigantic computer. Some people would call that the matrix. <clears throat> I don't know if God's a computer, though. It seems to me that if we're computers and we're technological and we have life and a mind, then God, too, has to be the grand source of everything. He has to be the power source of all of it that keeps it going. Now I'm going to throw one last thing at you before I end this video. Some of you out there, you have argued as though God is some mean old grandpa that hangs out in the sky that hits his children with a cane. Let me ask you something. When you are on your computer, how many times have you taken files or scripts or things that are sitting on your desktop or in a folder that you no longer want or find no use for? How many times have you uninstalled information? How many times have you thrown things away that didn't turn out to be the way you wanted them to? How many times have you downloaded software from the internet and it turned out not to do what you wanted or it wanted to try to create viruses that you didn't ask for or spam you? So you took that information and you threw it into your recycling bin, which is basically your computer's version of a trash can. That trash can ends up after you hit delete it disintegrates the information it breaks it up into mush basically numbered mush and then it sends the information off and it scraps it but there's always because it's a computer it can't just make the information disappear what it has to do is it stores it in a broken down version where it's smaller and more compressed where you simply don't see it that's why usually computers have to be upgraded. And the reason why they created cloud systems and all this, so the information, although broken down and broken down to incoherency, all that mess can be sent somewhere, like a dump. They call it a PC dump, a computer dump. Did you know that? Everything you've ever thrown away, it's still there. And if somebody was intelligent enough, they would be able to actually put that information back together and actually figure out what it was you were throwing away. The government's capable of doing it. So now that you know all that, you're probably asking yourself, Brett, why do you bring this up? Well, if we are organic biological computer stuff, 
and God decides that he has a folder on the right side of his desktop called scripts and codes and information I want to protect and save, but he's got that trash can on the left up in his top left-hand corner, and he throws stuff away. Is that immoral? Is it evil? Now, you're probably asking, why would it be evil for? Because if God perceives us as code and script and a part of his matrix or simulation, and he decides that some of us have become redundant, or we become a virus, or we become a meme, or something that is causing the rest of the process to be slowed or delayed, or causing damage to other software that he's created, would it be considered evil if he took a lot of you and threw you in the recycling bin and then had you basically uh, crushed down into powdered information that is sent off into the ether or ether? No. You know, some people, they've asked, uh, how can God do free will if he knows everything? If God is able to look down on us like a computer how can it be possible for us to make our own choices? It has to be determinism, right? We're all predetermined to do if we are software and we are programmed to respond and react certain ways. Doesn't that mean that God knows our future and our beginning? That's where compatibilism comes in, ladies and gentlemen. It means that some things can be predetermined and there is also within the parameters the ability to have free will. I'll explain it like this. If any of you have ever done this, you can go out and purchase or even get the free base game version of The Sims. It's a game about animated people that you're able to control, or you can give them free will and allow them run around in a city and town and make relationships, get married, have children, all this. You can sit there the whole time, and because of the way the HUD and the framework and UI is set up, the interface... You can see what they're thinking because it actually puts these little thought bubbles up where you know what they're going to do next. But at any time, you're able to close out of it. And sometimes the script changes and they decide they want to do something else. And you can watch and watch and you'll know what they're doing, but unless you make them do it, you're not making anybody do anything. The script is doing what it wants to do. And it's been programmed with a hundred million different ideas of what it wants to do. So it has an unbelievable amount, almost a finite concept of what it can do. However, the system is set up with predetermined priorities. Sometimes a sim has to take a piss. Sometimes it has to take a dump. Sometimes it wants to have sex. Sometimes it doesn't want to go to work that day. And it's up to the priority system if the sim can do it and what the mathematical equation is of what it is in its mood state if it's going to do something or respond properly to it. And of course, they also die eventually. Too much information stacks up and the character goes bye-bye. And the other sims and the simulation actually mourn the loss of their data and information that they once considered a person that they loved. That's how all that's possible. Display the Sims one of these days, ladies and gentlemen, 
and you'll be able to see how it's possible for these creatures to be able to run around, do what they want to, while at the same time you're able to sit outside of space and time and matter outside your computer screen and watch everything that happens and decide to intervene or get involved whenever you want to. If you think about life like that, that God is on the outside of the computer looking in, then you'll understand that although you're important to him, he can just as easily just put you in the trash can. This isn't really a matter of the kind of love that you imagine. His love is a different kind of love than yours. There are games and there are things that you like on your computer that you love. Some of you will even say, I can't live without my internet. I love the internet. You know, but you delete things all the time, don't you? You get rid of things and you forget about things. Or you simply archive things and they become so deeply packed into your archive, you don't even really think about them anymore until you're reminded of it from through somebody else vicariously. So is it wrong when you hear somebody say, why does God delete information? Why does God put things into the computer's wood chipper and let it tear away like that for or why does God let some software run? Why does some software work and function better than other software? These are the kind of questions you're asking. But in no way can you actually say that the person who's doing the computer or behind the desktop is an evil person no more than you can call someone evil in World of Warcraft whenever their character dies or their avatar. Because that's all it is. It's just an organic biological machine, and according to atheists, we're nothing more than chemicals anyway. We're nothing more than pixels on the screen. The only reason why we have value is because the developer said so. Do you get that? A lot of atheists say, I don't need, a, I don't need the developer in order to have value. Well, that's like a, a sim character on a screen saying, I'm important, I'm valuable. Um... Yeah, why? Why are you valuable for? The only reason you exist is because you were scripted to exist. You were thought up. Someone came up with you. If they didn't, you don't really have any kind of value. You do some neat tricks. You roll over like a dog and you bark and you play dead. But that's all you're really, that's really the only kind of value you have. And that kind of value doesn't do nothing for the other pixeled characters. And it sure as hell doesn't do anything for the developer unless that's what his purpose was, to see you roll over and play dead or bark for him or beg. You see, you can love something and you can love someone, but there are different forms of love. There's the love you have for your children. There's the love you have for your parents. And there's the love that you have for your God. And God has different forms of the way he loves us as well. It just so happens that this God loves us so much that he intervenes a lot and he also becomes a part of the system. That way he can fully be able to understand what we're doing and for us to be able to understand him. It's beautiful. Kind of think of it as God using VR, you know? <laughs> you know those uh, machines that people put on their eyes and then they appear to it gives them the sense that they're walking through the world now well, that's god for you he's the upgraded vr system 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed the video. If you would like to come in our Friday, 7 p.m. Central and argue with me about this stuff or have an open discussion, I'd be happy to.